Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we're talking about season five, episode 14, Crush. And we still don't have Leah here with us. She's off on her honeymoon now. Um, but we were like, you know what? This is a big episode, a lot going on. It would have been really nice to have Leah here. So we need to call in the next best person. So we just like reached deep within the fandom. We're like, who would be the person that would be just so amazing to talk about this? And we thankfully had someone that responded and was like, heck, Yes, yes, I will do this. And we have Najee with us. Welcome. Hey, everyone. I'm so happy to be here once again. Um, I just finished Buffy a couple months ago. So it's amazing to rewatch episodes and like notice foreshadowing or parallels. And rewatching this episode was like a fever dream uh, <laughs> in itself. But I'm happy to talk about it. And listen, I've been a big Becoming Buffy fan for months. Like, I've been watching episodes every day, so I'm kind of fangirling that I'm here. Not gonna lie. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank y'all for having me. I really appreciate it. Everyone needs to go back and watch her reactions on YouTube. Please. What's uh, your um? What's your tag? Oh, I think it's just Notch. Um, N-A-J. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I think the first channel, which had, like, the first two seasons, got, like, destroyed. So, um, if y'all want to see me crying during the Becoming, it's going to be a struggle <laughs> <bond>. <laughs> Well, it's funny because Tabs, when we were like, when I started noticing Naj's um, YouTube channel was when Leia was sending it to me. I was like, oh, you have to watch this girl reacting to Buffy for the first time. And I I love that. So I like went and watched. I was like, oh my gosh, she just has like the best insights. And then obviously we've had her on Investigating Angel. But I mm -hmm. had messaged Tabby and Leah and was like, hey, I want to have her on Becoming Buffy just because I think, especially someone who has watched the show for the first time and it's still so fresh in their mind, it's always fun to kind of be like, hey, what were your opinions as a first time viewer? Um, but it was funny because then I sent her like some of her videos to Tabby and Tabby was like, oh my gosh, I've been watching her reactions <laughs> since like she first started, like for what years now or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's actually insane. I started it during 2020, I believe. Like, and then I think I posted like my first video in January of 2021. And I remember that, for, I remember watching it for the first time and I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm excited to watch this. But the journey is insane. Cause I was just like, after season one, there was no peace. Uh, and oh, yeah. I think, I think <laughs> watching it from like a newer lens, I like noticed a lot of things that, you know, are obviously more problematic or, um, or kind of aged badly. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time I did like an episode on like the pains episode, season four. And I was like, this is kind of like a little, uh. and everybody was like, yeah. you don't get, mm. you don't get the vision, <laughs> you know? You're supposed to look at the Thanksgiving turkeys. And I was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to call <laughs> it out. Um, but I mean, you know, once again, I'm like kind of sad that I finished it because every Monday yeah. was like my favorite, you know, day to watch Buffy and talk about it. But I'm happy to kind of talk about it again. It's been months. Yeah. Now you're coming back, talking about it for a second time. Yeah. Rewatching it is sometimes more fun because you're not yeah. as like traumatized the first time through. <laughs> because know, you experience it for the first time. At least you can be mm -hmm. a little bit prepared as you go through mm -hmm. and then like look for the good rather than trying to like, you know, yeah. struggle through every episode. Oh, we're not having peace anytime. Anytime mm -hmm. soon. Every week is just 
fight or flight, but I kind of <laughs> enjoyed it though. Like just the adrenaline of like, okay, well, what's going to happen? That's going to blow my mind each episode, and it delivered mm-hmm. every time. So, and even to this day, I have like kind of conflicting theories about what is my favorite season, and it's always a yeah. throw between like two, three, and five <laughs> every time. Yeah, yeah same. It just, it just depends on the mood. I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. what mood am I feeling today? It's so funny. Whenever I watch reactors, it's amazing how. Buffy is still able to create such twists and pull out such emotions from people because so often I'll hear, oh my word, like, well, this is a weird, like, or this is a tired trope that Buffy's doing Mm -hmm. or this twist, whatever I've seen this in other shows before. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Buffy created a lot of these tropes. Like the trope of having a redheaded best friend who's a witch, like that was Buffy. But they also never Mm -hmm. do it quite in the way that you have seen as well. Yes, right. There's always some sort of subversion which I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a there's a show that I watched, um, if people know Legacies, which copied a lot of Buffy tropes. And yeah. at that time I didn't watch Buffy yet. So the 2018 to 2020, I was watching this show kind of like, oh my God, this is the best thing on the planet. And then I watched Buffy and I'm just like, <laughs> y'all were snatching storylines like crazy. Like <laughs> Well, I think that they tried to do some like quote unquote nods. Mm-hmm. But like it's not even in like a oh a newer ish refreshing yeah, way with a nod i i i mean i haven't seen it so i've yeah, just seen was, vampire diaries but um i just heard it wasn't well it done was, it, yeah it wasn't um <laughs> And I heard someone actually messaged me recently and told me, and I didn't know this, that Julie Plack, who is the creator of Vampire mm-hmm. Diaries, actually created the Stefan and Elena dynamic to be a love letter to Buffy and Angel. Yes. Yeah. Kind of give them mm-hmm. like more of what bu- she wishes Buffy and Angel would have had. Um, and she like, and to this day, it's so funny because I think she's like an interview like last year or so that was like, if um, Nina, the actress that plays Elena, if she's staged, they, um, Stefan and her way got back together. And I'm just like, do you really believe that? Mm, I, don't do you? So. I don't think so because you know, I think that's a, do yeah. Bonnie, I think that's so. something that she said probably way after the fact mm-hmm. there's no way yeah I was like so. okay anyway but we have a really juicy episode today um it's even more juicy I think in hindsight and so I mean y'all know but the spoiler section's going to be real juicy for this one <laughs> simply because this episode is very applicable for where it's at in the series in the season but it's even more applicable in hindsight after the rest of the season or the rest of yeah I guess the rest of the season the rest of the series it's going to be really fun to talk about with spoilers anyway but we will get out as much of it as we can spoiler free um but yeah crush Written by David Fury, directed by Daniel Adius, and it aired February 13th, 2001, which is hilarious because I'm just realizing this is probably supposed to be like a Valentine's Day themed episode. <gasps> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Of course, it's Buffy. They got to take a subversion to an episode called Crush, right? That means they skipped over the holiday episodes, which is a bummer. They they only have one Christmas centered episode in the entire series. So, yeah. you know, Angel got the like one Christmas, Christmas tree one. in the background is enough for me. I just want yeah. like some sort of like vibe of Christmas time. Honestly. Yeah. I think actually Bewitched, Bother and Bewildered was supposed to be a Valentine's Day one as well. Cause I remember I them so, talking yeah. about it being Valentine's Day and then Xander mm-hmm. like was gonna give that locket to Cordelia or something. Yeah. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So this is the last episode without flashbacks with Drusilla. It's the last time we see her in real time. It's also the last episode with Harmony on Buffy, which is kind of sad because I have really enjoyed Harmony. This is this rewatch. really her last time? 
This really? is her last time. Dang, yep. I did not realize that Chris was her actual last episode. Yep. That's interesting, though. And uh, can I say good for her, though? Good no, yes. yes. I just thought for- that she'd be here for a little bit longer. Nope. It's her last episode. Huh. Sad. Which, go watch Angel because she'll pop up there more. So, oh, you know, yeah, that's she's- your spoiler for that. <laughs> All right, so this is something I did not realize until I was doing research and I was watching this episode, but in a way, this episode is supposed to be kind of an antithesis to season one's Angel. Buffy was surprised to find out that Angel, the man that she loved, was a vampire and voluntarily fought against Darla, who wanted to reestablish a relationship with Angel. Darla ends up being dusted by Angel, and Buffy invites Angel into her home. Here, Buffy is repulsed to discover that Spike, the vampire she hates, is obsessively and desperately in love with her and fights involuntarily against Drusilla, who is Spike's ex-lover, who wants to reestablish her relationship with Spike. Spike vainly tries to dust Drusilla to demonstrate his love to the Slayer, and finally Drusilla escapes, and then Buffy removes Spike's invitation from her home. So it's kind of a cool little interesting Mm. contrast there, and we will talk about that more as the episode goes on. It's funny because I've often criticized the fandom for their comparisons of Spike and Angel, and while I do think parts of that are valid, I think it is possible to talk about Spike without Angel and vice versa, and I think it is important to do so. The show invites the comparisons and the contrasts, um, and you see that here. Their angel is all over this episode, oh, yeah. and he's brought up multiple times. Um, okay, and so Fool for Love, like kind of just looking back, so I did a little bit of research into kind of like when this episode aired and kind of like fan reactions and what was going on in the fandom on the Buffy boards and things like that. So Fool for Love did many things for the show, but the biggest thing was it brought Spike up to a more prevalent character status in the show and not so much as a side slash background character. Up until that episode, Spike was comic relief, just kind of in the background. Um, But after that episode, there was a huge shift, not only on the show, but in the fandom. Um, He became hugely popular in the fandom. And even in the writers, like the writers really, really loved him as well. And a lot of people wanted to know more about his backstory and like what made him tick. And more and more people were starting to ship him with Buffy, hence this episode. Um, And so we have David Fury, which he just cracks me up. He has some weird takes, but he tends to be kind of the purest of the writer groups. Like I know we talked about in Buffy versus Dracula, how everyone was like, oh, we just love this episode. We love the idea of having Dracula. And, And Fury was like, no, this goes against the lore. This doesn't make sense. Dracula's like putting, what did he say, like Batman into the Buffy universe. It just doesn't work. Um, He felt the same way about Spike. He was actually supposed to write for Fool for Love and actually decided not to because he was like, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of Spike being in love with Buffy and Mm. having to like write about that attraction that's, you can see the attraction between Buffy and Spike, but like he's like, I'm not comfortable with the idea of a vampire in love with a slayer and all how it's kind of muddies the waters a little bit. So he passed. And obviously we know that Douglas Petrie did a fantastic job with that episode. Um, so David Fury asked to do an episode that takes the Buffy and Spike relationship to the next step. He decided that it was time for the audience to discover that Spike was in love with Buffy. He says, and it then progressed into Buffy finding out, which was something we were saving for later. It turned out to be a good play because we were able to take them to interesting places throughout the rest of the season. Season. According to Fury, the resurrection of Spike and Drusilla's relationship was really significant in terms of what love means to Spike. And so for Fury, it was really important to define how Spike saw love because 
we clearly see that Spike has some sort of emotion towards Buffy, and we've seen how Spike has cared for Drusilla. Obviously, there's a whole toxic element with that, but he's been very tender with her at times. And so there is this little bit of a, and we even saw this in season two with the judge talking about how they they reek of humanity or something. And so for Fury, he kind of wanted to untangle that a little bit and go, okay, what exactly is that? Um, because we need to define this in order to move forward when it comes to Buffy and Spike's relationship, which I I mean, like, hats off to you, Fury, because this was this was a tricky one. Like I said before, David Fury didn't like the direction the show was going in with regards to Buffy and Spike. So to keep viewers from romanticizing their relationship too much, he inserted that line about Quasimodo being unable to truly love Esmeralda, which draws a parallel with Spike being unable to love Buffy without a soul. Um, We'll talk about that when it comes up. Um, But (laughs) unfortunately, David Fury got... You mean Froyo? Um, Quasimodo. Or Frollo? No, it's Quasimodo. From the books. Did they change that in the movie? Well, I, what I was going to say is David Fury actually got it wrong. So, <laughs> okay, I was like, I was like, um, did we watch um, the same movie? Because, like, it, like the, the torch, I mean, Spike is very much a lot more parallel to Froyo, uh, Froyo than he is. Yeah. Hunchback. Yes, or Frollo or whatever his name is. Yeah, yes. Fro- Froyo. I don't know. I was like, Froyo, <laughs> that doesn't sound, sound like, yeah, Frollo. let's go get some frozen yogurt, guys. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. Frollo. I think he um, thinks he is the hunchback, but he's actually more so. Yeah, yes. Dude. So yes. Tara's description of the plot is actually wrong, and Fury admitted this later on. He, he admitted that he completely screwed up the message of the book in that dialogue. He wanted to make a point about Spike and his unsuitability for Buffy in order to set the tone for the episode. But the actual message of the story of Quasimodo is that his love actually redeems him. So that kind of backfired a little bit for oh, <laughs> Fury. <no. laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. We'll we'll talk about that when it comes up. Um So obviously David Fury is trying to send the message that Spike is unable to love Buffy without a soul, at least in the way that we view love. And he uses this with contrasts to Angel and Buffy's love. So this season is about duality of self. And in The Replacement, we learned that each person's two halves are needed in order to be their full self. We saw that the comparisons of Spike and Riley early on this season, that both had lost a piece of themselves and therefore felt purposeless and aimless. So Riley being human and having a soul is capable of having duality and therefore regaining that part of himself to be whole again. So as stupid as Into the Woods was, him leaving town was actually him choosing to find purpose again apart from Buffy. And it was shown to be a good choice for him. Spike, on the other hand, is continuing in this cycle of obsession and meaninglessness. Fool for Love showed his patterns of behavior towards slayers and powerful women. And unlike Riley, he is choosing to stay and lean into his obsession, thinking he can change, but actually he's just doing the same thing he's always done. The purpose of this episode is to show that as much as Spike tries to show that he can change and that he has another side to him, he's actually still the same pathetic, obsessed, and soulless vampire he's always been. He's incapable of having more than one side to himself and therefore cannot be a fully fleshed out person or being, I guess you could say. And where this ties in with Buffy. So we know that Buffy is wrestling with what exactly is up with her nature and she fears that she has darkness inside of her. She worries that Spike's attraction to her is because of this supposed darkness, specifically because his last major partner was Drusilla, another cold-blooded vampire. So she's afraid that Spike is drawn to her in the same way that he is to Drusilla because of who Drusilla is and therefore who she is. So this continues her fears from 
from Buffy versus Dracula and Fool for Love. And obviously Riley leaving has not helped that. So that's kind of what's happening in this episode. I feel like there's a lot of this episode that whenever I think about it takes precedence. And there's a lot of small things. I'm like, I swear I've never seen in my entire life. Like this whole beginning part in the bronze where like Spike comes in and starts talking to Buffy about like remodeling the bronze and then like talking about the interior design. I was like, what? Oh, hello? Like, like you know, when you rewatch something and you're like, did they edit this? Is this like a 50 year, like, like, you know, like the, the 50 year, like a additions and they oh, add yeah. different scenes like 25 years i was like trying to gaslight time. myself i was like what is happening i've never seen this before in my well, life okay so this bronze reopening is actually really important because the last time we saw the bronze was when olaf the troll destroyed yeah. it in triangle and we had that you know with spike attempting to win buffy's favor by not eating like mm-hmm. what was it the bloodied victims and yep. then he was like feeling up buffy and then obviously like spike's feelings for buffy are the main focus of this episode and it's also dealing with the aftermath of riley leaving and buffy being single again, which again, that's why Spike's making his move. Um, so that's like why this is happening. But did you guys notice that like Spike dresses like Riley this episode? <laughs> really? Really? I, I, don't, I don't even pay attention. Yeah. So well, the the brown leather jacket, Riley wore the brown leather jacket, but also at one point when Spike comes out from underneath the base, like I guess I say I should say the basement, the caves underneath his crypt with mm-hmm. Dawn, he's wearing cargo pants, which is what Riley wore, and he's oh. wearing that sweater. Oh. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. What is, so this man is trying everything. Yeah. Did he, so like, he still Riley clothes too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Be, but you know how this goes with the whole comparisons between Riley and Spike, but also Fool for Love, where they showed Spike taking on this persona and changing himself based mm-hmm. upon the person he's obsessed with. He's doing everything he can to get Buffy's attention. He's trying to, this whole episode is about Spike trying to change himself for her, but how it's not good enough because at the end of the day, it's not actually a choice. It's just the chip forcing him into this mold. Um, and so Spike putting on these clothes is supposed to be like, look, Buffy, I've changed. Look, I'm a new person but he's just doing what he thinks she wants. Yeah. He did look like Indiana Jones, though. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. No, honestly. So Spike is talking to Buffy, being like, hey, I want some slack for helping you. She's like, you're a pig, naturally. Xander and Anya come over, and Xander's like, hey, this is my seat. If you can get out, that'd be great. Um, To which he steals his money. I'm like, oh, he's so gutsy. He's literally like 10 feet away paying for a drink with Xander's like right there. I love how there's like this rivalry between Spike and Xander that is just like so entertaining because I hate them both. (laughs) Honestly, I'm I'm just, I'm like, go ahead and argue over coins and money and drinks. Have fun at that. Leave, Leave the adults to do the big stuff, children. Go ahead, Xander. Punch him for us. He won't do anything. Go ahead. (laughs) We find out that Will has been having ongoing headaches from the locator spell. Not locator. The relocator spell. uh, Teleportation spell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From a couple episodes with Glory, um, which is very alarming. I feel like we haven't seen headaches or um, bad side effects have lasted longer than the current episode. So Mm -hmm. the fact that they've mentioned, I'm like, oh, dang, like that was... Like, it took everything in her just to do that one spell. Yeah, I think they confirm later on in the episode when Buffy's talking with Giles that it's been a week since blood ties. So that's a long time mm-hmm. to be still having nosebleeds oh, yeah. and headaches. Right. It sounds kind of intense, though. 
because I don't yeah. even remember like that even being mentioned. I was actually listening. I was like, headaches and nosebleeds? Yeah. yeah, maybe we should just mm-hmm. not touch that again. Uh, yeah, which is very convenient for the show to be like, wow, we can never use this super powerful spell ever again. Ever oh no, again. how will we defeat yeah. Glory? Here's our <laughs> one exactly. up through. They're like, oh, that's prob- actually probably what it was because they're no, like, oh shoot, we can't. <laughs> we have to have such clear limitations with our witch, which I get, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of funny. You're like, oh, that was a way too convenient of a spell. Let's make yeah. it so she never can do it again. Right. Right. There's so many times where she could have used it in later seasons. Totally. Totally just for convenience sake in this episode's yeah. sake. I love the fact that Tara's like, um, when they're talking about like not calling Glory Glory, she's like, I'm down with that. In fact, let's just call she who will not be named another name entirely. Let's call her. <laughs> and then Buffy goes, Ben. And we're like, ooh, oh. has she figured it out? And nope. Nope. <laughs> yep. So Buffy walks over to Ben. They lightly flirt. Buffy thanks him for looking after Dawn at the hospital the other day. Um, and then Spike clocks Buffy with Ben. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. With his drink. And then we have like a very fun, creepy, Halloween-esque scene this at the train so station. This is so good. Mm-hmm. They set it up so well that if I wasn't breaking down this episode, I wouldn't have guessed that it was Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even for me, when I was like reacting to Buffy and Angel at the same time, like I was going between them episodes and I was yeah. like- I was like, okay, it has to be Drew, but how it was like so, like how it was filmed, like even when the guy was yeah. running out the train, mm-hmm. he got grabbed. I was like, that cannot be, that has to be something yes. else. And like, and how they mm-hmm. framed it, even like the dramatic music, it makes mm-hmm. it like it's like this bigger threat, which is yeah. why I'm like, okay, well, maybe Drew and Darla just taking a cruise somewhere because when did Drew start doing this? But then I forgot how scary she was in season two of Buffy. Right. So I was like, oh, she definitely is back in her potential. Obviously, she's been drinking an angel. She's been obviously racking up that strength. So why am I shocked? Mm-hmm. I, keep, I, I kept doubting her like yeah. potential, honestly. Hear me out. If she's going to come back for an episode, they should have gone harder. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More like, good. Like, like she comes back and they have this and we don't see it. And then they go into the bronze and then they just drink two people. Like, I like, I'm like, I kind of like, if you're going to do it, like, kind of like go in. Like, I've like, we've never, I mean, other than like becoming part two, which even still wasn't like, I know was not as hard as she could have gone. So I just kind of like, I've always felt like I've been starved of Mm -hmm. Drusilla in her workplace, you know, at her job. Yeah. I feel like on Buffy, they kind of like lower her intimidation sometimes because an angel, yeah. she was intimidating. Like when she was walking around with Darla inside that like fashion store trying on clothes, mm-hmm. there was this like this, this scariness about her or like like she's very intimidating without even trying. She comes here and she's just not doing anything. We saw her sliding, her screaming at the slaughtering and all that. So we're like, okay, she's definitely killing people. Here, she's doing it behind the scenes. Why? I know it's to like shock us and be like, haha, you didn't know it was her, but I'm gonna need you to do more. Like, go ahead and have her slaughter a couple people on the streets. I would, I would love to see it. If yeah, wanna, no saying. If wanna, like, if we're gonna try to convince us that she wants everything to be like how it was before, which is technically like season two s, um, or even before then, and like due to the flashbacks with like the core four in their eyes, why don't you have her doing stuff that she would do then? Why not have her go after toddlers, which was something that her and Angela and we used to like go for in season two? Why not have her make a scheme about let's just kill all these people and give a message off? No, she just went to the bar, danced a little bit, and that was it. <laughs> I think. It's kind of I mean, I I agree. I think that 
it worked really well for what they needed to have done for this episode. I think that it would have detracted too much from the overall purpose of this episode. But I agree. Like, I, there's okay. First of all, there's far too little Drew in this show in general. So yeah. it would have been awesome if she came back even last season and had mm-hmm. her come back and wreak havoc because we haven't really seen Drew fully at full potential. She's always mm-hmm. with someone else doing something else, but that also is a huge part of her personality and of her character. Like. Drusilla just wants to be part of a family. We see that in um, Fool for Love and in uh, Darla when she tra- she changed and turned Spike. She was lonely. She wanted someone that was her own and she was all about family. That's what she was doing over an angel. In uh, I think it was in um, – not Redefinition. Oh, yeah. It was in Redefinition. Mm-hmm. The last episode we saw her on the whole point of her – coming into town and changing Darla and stuff as she was trying to get the whirlwind back together again. And obviously she left Darla to do deal with Angel. She was like, okay, I'm hurt. I'm going to go lick my wounds. I'm going to go try and get Spike. So as powerful as we see her in this train stop, I don't think she's at full potential because we still see like the bruises and the marks from when she was lit on fire. So I think the whole point of this was just to try and get Spike back to who he was. And she didn't try amazingly hard, but I think she yeah. was like, okay, well, this doesn't work. So now I'm going to go do something else. You know, I think um, it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, it'd be cool if we were back together. But like, if it I'm doesn't work okay out, it doesn't work out. Too. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. was over it. She was over it so easily though. And I, I think it's kind of even like kind of delusional on her part because she left him for a reason and she got right. reminis- she got reminiscent of just seeing Angel as well. And then she got the ick and she was like, oh, actually, never mind. <laughs> she said, actually, I was right. Um, I've got that slime demon on call. I'm just going to go call him <laughs> over there. <laughs> she said, you don't have to worry about me. I'll be going on the next train out and getting my doll back. So- Which this episode is interesting because you see both – Drusilla and Harmony realizing that Spike is a lost cause and dipping and Spike, even they are able to leave and do something different and Spike's still stuck there. Yeah. So back at the house, I, I just love that Giles is kind of like babysitting the girls and hanging Dude, out with them. Like a family. It's so yeah. cute. And it's just so like natural. Giles is just hanging with Joyce and Dawn. Even like the fact that like Joyce has like the comfortability to be like, oh, like I, I feel so much more safe, Buffy, like when you're here or whatever she says, that's like kind of along the lines of that. And then Giles feels the comfortability to like show annoyance. He's like, okay. <laughs> He's like, you're doing shade? Like I'm not here? <laughs> There's a whole section of the script that was cut out between Dawn and Buffy. So after Dawn finds out that Spike was there, she goes, Spike was there? And Buffy says, unfortunately. But then she goes on and says, you know, for a keeps to himself kind of vamp. He's like everywhere I go. And Dawn says casually, so – um. What was he doing? Did you like talk to him about, you know, stuff? What did he say? And then Buffy says, I don't know. He's cranky. The bronze got rid of the flowering onion appetizer. And then uh-huh. Donnie goes, huh? And then she nods and crosses away. And then to herself, she goes, likes onions. So Don's like making oh. a mental list of what she, Spike oh, likes. Oh, no. <laughs> now, like, Don, what are you going to do? Cook it in the house and deliver it to him? Like it's Uber Eats? Can you calm down? <laughs> Don's unserious. <laughs> that's kind of endearing though like as like someone yeah. who's young and has like a crush on someone who's older you're just like taking mental notes that's kind of she cute said, she said hmm, he likes fried onions how are we making it tomorrow <laughs> that would have actually been hilarious if she had shown up at his crypt with the onions later <laughs> <laughs> he's like what's this for 
I heard you were sad that it got taken off the menu. So here, dog special <laughs> flower onions. <laughs> uh, Giles and Buffy have a uh, private conversation that's like literally two feet away from everyone else. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, and she's like, hey, like, well, how should we be treating Dawn and that sort of stuff? And he's like, you know what? Maybe this is like the best be the best opportunity for her to not be dwelling on stuff if you just treat her normally to which Buffy interjects and he mutely starts yelling at Dawn about <laughs> borrowing her clothes I'm like this is sisterhood the best part is Giles just like you see the door behind him closed. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, like this I is my time this. to leave yeah. <laughs> he lit the match and left the building and left it he let Dawn catch strays. <laughs> and I love how we're like, Buffy's like, where's my blue cashmere sweater? Cut to. And we saw in Shadow, that was the sweater that Spike was like sniffing when Riley caught him uh, in Buffy's bedroom. Oh my God. I know. I'm so sorry. Turner warning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my God. He's sniffing the sweater when Harmony is appearing looking like a literal feast in front of him. This girl is gorgeous. Oh, Jeez. this scene. Jeez. I just, I don't. <sighs> I don't understand. I don't but understand also, that. Harmony Girl, get up! Uh, get that's, up! That's what I'm saying. She's, not, she's, weak. she's weak in the knees because, girl... This is the one where I'm like, babe, babe, girl, girly pop, think about it for a second. What? She said, let's huh? play a game. What game we gonna play? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't. This poor girl, get her out of there. Someone get her out. <laughs> Somebody stage an intervention and save Harmony, please. <laughs> like, where's the decorum at Harmony? There was no, no, no decorum when it comes to Spike. She's watching him just Damn. sit down in a seat and she's like, hmm, let me see how I can get him ready. It's because she has like no other friends to be like, Harmony, this man Stop. does not like you. She yes. doesn't have any friends. And I think Loki, she's kind of delusional. Um, yeah. at the end of the yeah, episode, yeah. at the end of the episode, she does like say how she thought that by doing certain things, it would win him over. And I'm just like, so you just been ignoring these red flags for free? Did you yeah. just did you just close your eyes and pretend not to see it? Well, well I'm pretty right. sure. I'm pretty sure those pants she's wearing are the ones that Buffy wore in Becoming. I, okay, I was I was trying to figure. out. I was like, he stole the shirt. Did he also steal the pants? He must have. How is he 100%. that school of a criminal? Is he walking through the window? Like, how is he? You know, he's walking straight into the house when is Joyce insidious. is in the hospital. This is insidious work. Like, Spike. Okay, because mm-hmm. I'm trying to picture how this worked. So, Spike <laughs> is like, hey, let's pretend you're a slayer and I'll be a vampire. And she's like, okay, cool. He's like, by the way, I want you to wear this and pulls out a full outfit. outfit. Yeah, bro. A steak. A the steak. more you question the situation, the more I'm like, Harmony. It looks girl. absurd. And then, no, yeah. but not even just that. Like, he also, I think he gave her some pointers for dialogue because she said, <laughs> yeah. she, said mm-hmm. she said, I am the chosen one. And once she said that, he became like insane. So, how did she just listen to him give a whole play by play about how to act like Buffy? And yeah. she's just like, okay. Anyway, I want to skirt past that <laughs> scene. Feel free. <laughs> um, at the school, we have Tara, Buffy, and Willow. And this is the scene Sarah's talking about them talking about mm-hmm. Notre Dame. What exactly was their point? Because, like, exact, like, I mean, now it kind of makes sense because they were talking about Frollo or whatever. But, right. like, what were they trying to say about Quasimodo? What was their correlation here in like the context of the episode? So, okay, the the wrong correlation, the incorrect one basically is that Willow's saying, hey, I don't understand why Quasimodo couldn't have ended up with Esmeralda, like, you know, a mm-hmm. romantic 
at heart. She's like, why can't it just have been a happy ending? And Tara's like, no, it can't. Because Quasimodo was basically trying to do, like everything he did was selfishly motivated because all the quote unquote nice things he was doing were to get her attention, to get her to love him. He had no actual moral compass, no understanding of right and wrong. And everything he did was out of a desire for this woman who would never love him back. Um, And so the whole point was basically to show that everything's like, I was going to say Xander, but you know, same thing. Everything that Spike is doing is selfishly motivated um, because he's just trying to get Buffy to love him. So they're trying to make Mm -hmm. the comparison there. um, But obviously that's not at all what the message of the book is. So it's a false equivocation. Gotcha. Well, I've never read the book. I've only seen the movie. So I didn't. The book is um, a little scarring. So don't. (laughs) I'm not planning on it. I'm just saying that I don't know how much of it is how much even Quasimodo is different in the book. So I'm just curious and how much they actually fudged it gotcha. from the book to the movie. Right. Well, um, the book is, are you talking about like the Disney cartoon? Yeah. That's movie? the only one. I mean, is okay. there any other? I, yeah. They're, they're, they mem- they mention it here. There's a couple of live action ones as oh. well. Um, the book is just significantly darker. Uh, Frollo is, really, really, really bad. Um, and even the soldier guy is really bad too. Um, like everyone takes uh, advantage of Esmeralda, who I think is only like 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, spoilers if anyone hasn't read the books, but in the end, Quasimodo and Esmeralda both die, I think. Um, oh. I'm pretty sure. It's been a long time. I read this book at far too early of an age. I was like nine and there's like assault and other things in that book. I shouldn't Dang. have read it. Oh, um but um, I I know Quasimodo dies. I think Esmeralda dies, but I don't remember. She could go on and, and live. Um, but basically the idea is that uh, Quasimodo is redeemed by the end. He ends up um, – like his love for her does end up redeeming him because he does become unselfish. I think like him by dying – by him dying for her and stuff. Um, but that's pretty similar to the, the cartoon, I think. Right, Tabs? Well, I mean, no, the Hunchback – is like pretty much outcast and is abused by Frollo and right, which um, is the Esmeralda, but but Esmeralda like befriends him and he doesn't change by her love, he just gains like this oh, sense of self. Interesting. Like okay. Quasi is like very much like the victim, and so is Esmeralda, um, gotcha. both by Frollo in very different ways. Frollo is like a very like um, um, religious awful corrupt man who it's like it's like very well written because like he's like hating himself for lusting over her right but then ends up channeling his hate in misogyny towards her it makes it her problem um and it's i mean literally his villain song is really about him wanting to like like you know sexually assault her it's but it's like a children's movie (laughs) which is just funny but like the themes are like deep but like I mean, it's it's well written. Yeah, the themes I think are the same. It's just the way it plays different out is very people. different because yeah. they have them all adults. So yeah, but all that to say is David Fury was attempting to make a statement about Buffy and Spike, but obviously that is a false equivocation with the book and the themes of the book. Uh, Buffy sees a newspaper about the train station, and then we jump over to the crypt where Dawn walks in. And sees that Spike is coming from the floorboards. I'm guessing is I'm just gonna call it a basement. I feel like that's easier to say uh, from his basement down below, which we've never literally ever seen this crypt before up until this episode. Okay, so 
we'll talk about this in the spoiler section, but there's actually a huge um, like significance to this underground area, yeah. like the basement, I'll call in it, of Spike's six. Crypt. Like we talk about how like basements are kind of um, symbolic in the show where it's like being trapped in the basement, like Xander not being able to get out. And this is kind of Spike. So I like how you're expecting Buffy in this moment, but it's Dawn. And I also like how he's coming from below, trying to hide who he really is. So Spike is like trying to portray, hey, look at me wearing Ry- like Riley's clothes or I'm looking like this. And or, it's Dawn I'm becoming coming this. in in this moment, yes. not Buffy. It's exactly. a more innocent person that he's like hiding his other side from. The next scene with him and Don sitting on top of the crypt, which is like yeah. above everything, that's the persona he wants people to see. Even him telling the scary story to Don, and she kind of sees through it mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when really underneath who he really is, is a bunch of bones and a shrine to his obsession. Well, and he gets like offended when she says that she feels safe around him. He's like, right. oh, that's not me. You know? Yep. I think yep. he's having a little bit of an identity crisis in this episode. Just and he's a little bit of taking one. Taking it out on Buffy, just a tiny one, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then he, but then he starts giggling when Dawn is like, "Well, he might be as you know as tough as Buffy, maybe even tougher." You know, Buffy thinks that, and he's like, "Oh, really? Tell me more." Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's very right. clear that he's only telling Dawn to go home because he's afraid that Buffy is going to be afraid for Dawn, and he's mm-hmm. trying to just do things to get Buffy to like him. Uh, so back at the house, Buffy sees that Dawn's not there, and poor Joyce is very worried and freaked out. And so Buffy's like, you know what? No worries. I'll go and find her um, and go straight to the crypt, to which the angling in this is very weird because she walks in, and she would have clearly seen Dawn Duh, literally yeah. right there, <laughs> has to walk all the way to Dawn to be like, oh, it's not just Spike in here. What are you talking about, What are you girl? talking about? <laughs> There is no way you didn't see that extra body just sitting right there. <laughs> and so she's like, yes, Spike, go ahead and finish the story you were telling my sister. And he's like, um, um, and, and I uh, took her out and I gave her to a family who will never hurt her. And the end. So Buffy and Don are kind of like, she's lecturing her about leaving, not telling her where she's going, about hanging out with Spike, you know, just threefold um, out in the graveyard. And then Buffy's like, oh, he wouldn't notice me because he has a crush on you. Crickets, crickets. I mean, Dawn says that, not yeah. Buffy. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Dawn. And Buffy, <laughs> Buffy is like, I just have to say, we believe Buffy. I believe Buffy that yes. she does not actually have feelings for Spike. She mentions it several times in this episode. And mm-hmm. even in this moment when it's said out loud to her, the girl looks like she's seen the a fuse. ghost. Yes. Like, there's no part of her that's like, what? Like, he likes <laughs> me? Like... It's not that. And, and she doesn't, like, her reaction is very telling because she doesn't smile. She doesn't seem like, yeah. she seems appalled. Like, what made y'all say this? Um, and she continues to say the same thing. Like, her emotions never change when she talks about this topic because she's in, like, disbelief. This is the same guy who's been, you know, her, like, enemy or somewhat on and off enemy for a couple of seasons. And to have her sister, who only been, like, interacting with him a few times, notice this before she does, or even her friends, she's like, I must be, this must be a lie. There's no way. Um, and like her word choices for this, she's like, you know, she calls him icky. She calls him dangerous. So in her eyes, she's just like, there's no way this person who like literally hates me would be in love with me. And my sister is telling me this. 
I think it was Prophecy Girls who actually, when they covered this episode, started the hashtag Believe Buffy. And I would yep. just like to continue and take up that mantle as well. Um, because this episode was actually infuriating with the amount of people who like like were so unable it's to believe the fandom. I'm that afraid Spike liked Buffy or yeah. that like Spike could like Buffy without Buffy egging him on. And I know that the show was doing that to kind of feed into Buffy's own fears about herself, but it was so frustrating, especially to hear Joyce talking about it. Yeah. I, I, I just found that rather odd because then when she says that, she says something different, like two lines after. And I'm just like, so why did you say that line about potentially leading him on when you think he's dangerous yet you think he's dangerous yet you're having him on the counter in the kitchen laughing. Right. That doesn't right. make sense. Uh, yep. Joyce, let's come together and be fucking for real. Uh, well, what do you guys think about this whole conversation right here where Buffy says Spike's a killer, Don? You cannot have a crush on a thing that's dead and evil in a vampire. And then Don compares Spike to Angel. Oh, the classic. That's just not even <sighs> yeah. comparable. Like, it's, it's not, like, it's, yeah. Go ahead, girl. Sorry. I was going to say it's not comparable, but it also brings this discussion to where this, these fans and this fandom uses these certain points to compare because you're comparing apples to oranges, one. Buffy met Angel when he had a soul. Therefore, any type of correlation with out of soul she met obviously after. That's what season two is about. Sinu and met Spike when he has no soul. Um, he has a chip, which is not a soul. Therefore, mm -hmm. this comparison of, well, let's compare Spike with a, with a chip to Angel with a soul makes no sense because, you know, in future instincts, then that becomes invalid to what you're trying to say. Um, and I hate that they try to make it seem like Spike with a chip is just like Angel with a soul when I doubt Angel would do some of these things that we're seeing in this episode. So Dawn saying this is kind of odd because in our mind, she has seen Buffy deal with Angel for those three mm. years. And for her to watch these things and compare this, all the stuff that her and Angel have went through to this guy Spike obsessing over her, it's kind of just doesn't make sense to me. Um like, I guess, I mean, Dawn, since she's being defensive and trying to protect, the, um, you know, her crush on Spike, but it kind of invalidates anything that, you know, Banjo has compared to what Spike is doing. So don't understand why that was even mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I think David Fury was writing this because he wants to bring out it feel it really does feel like some of the debates I see online between people who are pro angel pro spike it's the well spike has a chip spike's choosing to fight even though he's programmed to be evil um and so i th feel like david fury probably saw a lot of this even on the buffy boards back then as well like oh spike is trying guys spike is trying to change that was more than angelus who just rig reveled in the evilness and stuff um but i feel like david fury is like well let's address this let's have dawn as almost like the other side of Buffy, bring this up um, and let's show in this episode why having a chip is very different from having a soul. Yes, Spike cannot kill people, but he doesn't protest when Drusilla snaps these people's necks and and mm -hmm. drinks from them. He, he even like he hesitates for a second, but then he goes on and just drinks from that girl. He doesn't stop Drew when she drinks from the guy. He, I mean, and then obviously he's like chaining people up. <laughs> you also have to ask yourself when is this happening too, because this happening when he, um relents or whatever like decides to kind of give in to the monster side is when he feels like he doesn't have a chance with Buffy so mm. you have to ask yourself 
has he been quote unquote neutered in this sense because it's been because of his chip or is it because for a while now, maybe not in the beginning, it was more reluctant in the beginning because he couldn't do anything, but has it been him playing the niceties and, and trying to be a, a anti-hero um, because he thinks he might end up with Buffy, you know? Right. Cause the whole mm-hmm. reason he goes with Drew, he was yep. planning on double crossing her that entire time. So he let her cross boundaries and lines ultimately. So he mm-hmm. thinks he can get a shot at Buffy, which is ultimately incredibly selfish at the very least. You know, when you watch something and like, this is like a classic enemies to lovers thing, which can be done well. Don't get me wrong. I'm a sucker for enemies to lovers. Love it so much. You have to make sure your enemy is not to the point that they're irredeemable in the beginning. Yes. Has to play this like little gray area. Like it's a fine line for sure. Um, But my thing is a lot of the times this is happens a lot. Um, is when, let's say it's a TV show or a book series where the enemy is an enemy for a long time before they end up together. And what happens is when the character starts to change and they, the main love interest starts to kind of fall for each other, what happens is a lot of people tend to go through and have this whole like retrospective gloss over of the first or what he's actually the villain and they start mm-hmm. to romanticize yep. a lot of those moments and i think that it was happening it happens a lot like that in the fandom is is mm-hmm. when because i'll see people who give me really good valid viewpoints about spike without giving spoilers just like later or ish around this time okay mm-hmm. um or later maybe allegedly allegedly you guys spoilers is gonna be great um, guys honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but the hard part is, it's like, oh, this is so hard to say I know, I know. spoilers. We can yeah, shelve it. We can shelve yeah. it for spoilers. Like, I know there's going to okay. be a lot we're going to talk about I'll just try to there. wrap up as much as I can in this episode. But it's hard sure. because, like you're saying, if if they're seeing a lot of these discussions with fans on, like, the boards or, like, even through, mm-hmm. like, whatever, you, you're – people have always been aware of fans' reactions to stuff. So Absolutely, it's not, yeah. you know um, – I feel like this is very much them doing that to kind of almost like rewrite yes, a lot of the past, which is a very natural, not natural, very normal thing that people have done in these mm-hmm. situations. And there's so much more I can say about that, especially with future stuff, but I can't. So yeah. come back for the um, spoiler. Yeah, I will <laughs> piggyback on that. I feel like enemies to lovers now, specifically within the last few years, have been a touchy kind of subject because for yeah. me as well. And it's I all love over the, the place too. Yeah, I love me yeah. the English lovers. They're probably my top three favorite trope of all time. Yeah. But I think a lot of times it's always done wrong because mm-hmm. um, people end up not holding their fave accountable. Like, yes, yes, these people are enemies. These people have done wrong things. These people have abused people. Um, and I think some people end up trying to confuse it with, oh, they abused them because they love them. Or um, it looks abusive because they were fighting, you know, eternalized demons. One of the best kind of tropes I can give or examples was like Shadow and Bones, where um, mm. there's an enemies kind of thing and you know it's abuse there and it's been happening and people like to brush over it because of the guy having mommy issues um, and or I the think, cruel prince and, I've yeah, heard about um, the cruel prince oh I love the cruel prince so I, I only read the first book so I can't even say too much oh. but, um, <laughs> I won't say anything I mean, I, mean I, I understand it though because there is some moments where I'm just like do you have to do that um, yeah. you like it so when it comes to Spike 
is kind of this thing because we find out some stuff about him in later seasons and I'm just like, okay, but does that justify how he's been acting leading mm-hmm. up to that point? Um, mm-hmm. And I think people use what they find out later in the season to justify the stuff yes. we're seeing now. Yep. And then when it's not valid, valid mm-hmm. to other people who are criticizing him critically, people then start to bring in other characters, which is why this episode of the mentioning Angel becomes critical because it's like if they can't win the let's forgive him for his future stuff, let's bring up somebody else. Let's let's and, also be consistent here. Like like mm-hmm. I it really like oh my goodness, I just triggered myself by remembering a character. Okay. <sighs> Chuck from Gossip Girl. The yeah, first episode he's probably the biggest attempt one, honestly. rapes two different girls. The first episode. And yet it's like people like I saw a TikTok where some dude was watching Gossip Girl for the first time and then he was like he was like hey is there anyone we're supposed to like he's in for season one he's like because everyone you guys keep saying he's like listening to all these things they've done I'm like I oh, know babe I'm sorry but people in the comments were like oh we choose to ignore the first episode or like oh we like that's like Chuck changes or Chuck wrote whatever and I'm like I'm sorry but exactly. can we keep it consistent here like exactly. if he did this later on the seasons you probably wouldn't have the same energy yeah um some people some other characters they do keep the same energy but i'm yeah. just gonna say yeah, and, and I, think, I think on fire man <laughs> i kind of love it um do that because i feel like i feel like a lot of people choose to pick and choose who to like talk about when it comes to that things too they're like oh we'll forget this person's problematic stuff but that person right there no mm-hmm. that's like when they'll like have yeah. like you know if a character has a love interest right that's a matter of fact i'm gonna go there Buffy and Spike, uh, Buffy, Angel, and Spike. They'll criticize Angels. Spike, he gets a pass a lot. Um, and I'm just like, okay, well, everyone to excuse some of the person things that he does. Why does Angel get looked into the lens? Um, no, I'm not gonna say any spoilers, but some of the stuff that this dude does, I'm just like, y'all worried about this supernatural age gap? I think we need to be serious. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's be honest here. Well, there's other things to discuss. It's, it's canonical that. Spike was in love with Buffy the first time we saw her. And how old was she? Mm-hmm. She was like still 17, very- 16. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't even like, a, oh, I think she's great. It's a, a predatory view because he was mm-hmm. literally villain. Yep. So that's so, worse in my opinion. Yeah, so come on now. Um. And I'm going to give another argument that's even apart from the whole romance aspect too. And this is something I've been talking about since season four that I saw the show kind of edging towards. So in season four was very much about embracing your nature. Uh, Don't let other people change it. Don't conform to the crowd and stuff, which works well if you have very clearly defined lore. But the, the show started to edge into some interesting and some difficult territory, um, which I think David Fury and Douglas Petrie both struggled with specifically in the initiative when they had Spike breaking out of the initiative and Joss wanted wanted it displayed heroically. And they were like, well, he's the bad guy. Why should it be displayed heroically? And Joss wanted to be like, well, it's worse for your for people to be trying to make you into something that you're not or trying to change your nature. But the problem that's happening is you're seeing the show starting to dip its toe because we've not clearly defined what it means to have a soul. Like we think back with Sky Sky, um, back I think in Consequences, he seemed like a genuinely nice guy who was doing nothing. And yet we don't really know if he has a soul or not because we were given information in the first season about how, hey, all demons have no soul. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, Angel has a soul because of the, the curse. 
And then, oh, now some demons do, some demons don't. Like I think over an angel, we have Lauren. Does Lauren have a soul? I would argue he does. This guy has displayed very clear morality. And so we need a more defined criteria and definition of what it means to what what does it mean exactly to have a soul can demons have souls without um being human and all that stuff and so the problem with this is is now we're edging into territory where buffy's role could possibly be questioned because buffy's job as a slayer works only on a very narrow definition of sold or unsold, evil or not evil. So there has to be a difference or else Buffy's job is irrelevant and she's killing things that shouldn't be killed. The line has to be clearly defined. And what is happening, I think this episode is an attempt to try to make that line a little bit more defined. Um, But in the show trying to play both sides and like give good arguments for both, sometimes you have people that only hear what Dawn is saying and don't see the overall picture of this episode and then also get confused with some of the messaging from some of the less clearly defined episodes. So I agree with the message of this episode. I think it is consistent with the lore that the show has established, but I sense the show edging into murky territory because of them not defining the soul and them also being like, oh, having your nature changed is a bad thing. Well, is it having your nature changed if Spike's nature is as awful as we've seen it? You know, so I don't know if that all makes sense. I'm kind of like all over the place, but the show needs to be a little careful in how it moves forward specifically with Spike. I th- yeah, I think the chip has just confused a lot of a lot yeah. of this. I think a lot of the vampire lore sometimes is murky because even with the like mm-hmm. angel curse, some people thought it was just because him and Buffy like, you know, hooked up and it, they didn't understand the really complexity of yes. it, which is why the scene in season two where he got with Darla was very significant because it was way more stuff to it. Like when I watched it, I don't I don't think I assumed that it was just because he saw with Buffy. I think it was kind of a thing that kind of leads to somewhat of it, but it really wasn't in my mind of how it worked until I watched Angel. So, you know, if that's already murky and people still don't to this day understand what that means, I can only imagine them, you know, confusing the significance of like with a chip, without a chip, and how does soul and not a soul works. Because they mm-hmm. really don't emphasize it a lot, even though this is a vampire show. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that the show has done fairly well is making the lore kind of um, ambiguous in order to be able to create really interesting scenarios. But now we're starting to run into some issues with the fact that it is so ambiguous. Yeah. So at this train station, we have Buffy's and Xander's conversation. What did you guys think (laughs) about this conversation about them talking Um, about Spike's crush? I think it's just insane. I was talking about this earlier today. And I just find it odd that Xander would question somebody even crushing on Buffy when, hey, she was with a vampire. Um, and I think with Xander, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's growth. Uh, maybe he just doesn't see her in that way anymore. But every guy that interacted with Buffy, he had like a jealous radar one. He was like, yep, they're fooling her. Yep. They, he must be getting too close to Buffy. Buffy, Buffy, Buffy. But now with Spike, he's suddenly just like, you're delusional. Um, there's no way. I, I think this was you. a specific plot thing because I'm like, I agree. He would have totally seen it. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to play it up as like a really comedic thing that like there's no way Spike would have a crush on Buffy. You know what I mean? Like that's the mm-hmm. type of story they're putting in this episode. But I agree with you. I think that Xander would have totally noticed. Yeah. And you can tell this definitely for plot because even like Joyce and Willow were like, no, there's no way. 
there can't be a way. Like, Buffy, maybe you didn't, did he say the words? Like, they were making it seem like Buffy just decided to wake up one day and say, yeah, Spike is definitely in love with me. Mm-hmm. Why? I just have a feeling. Um, that's what I'm going to say, because... Uh, Spoiler section is going to be definitely lit. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like trying to dance around everything. And everyone's going to listen to like 15 minutes of this and immediately go straight to the spoiler section. They're going to be yeah, like, like oh, wait a whole other <laughs> week for this. <laughs> and I need it now. <laughs> my my biggest thing that's bugged me about this scene, because everything else, I was like, it's fine. Whatever. In this scene where she talks about like it's creepy that Spike finds yeah. likes her or whatever, and he goes, "No, it's not creepy." I'm like, "Um, mm-hmm. are you Buffy?" Let's Buffy let's says keep that it's in creepy. Mind. Like, they believe her. Maybe she's creeped out. And this you is know? this is something we've been really frustrated with since I think back to like Go Fish, where Buffy comes to tell them, "Hey guys, like I was assaulted, and then I was not taken seriously. It was mm-hmm. actually like." slut shamed and told that it was because of what I was wearing in the principal's office or like, yeah, it was in the principal's office in the coat with the coach right there and mm-hmm. the nurse. And then she goes to tell everyone and she's frustrated about it. And they all just stare at her like she's crazy and like she's overreacting. And this has been a common problem in the show of people not believing Buffy and people not taking things seriously because they're like, you're so strong, Buffy. And that's why Xander's laughing. He's going, this is ridiculous because there's no way, Buffy, that you would ever take a second look at Spike because you're so strong and he's pathetic. And because of it, he's not taking seriously the threat that Spike poses to Buffy. Yes, she's strong, but should she have to deal with this? Should she have to live with this? No, absolutely not. Like as her friend, she may be strong physically, but emotionally, this is taxing, you know? Mm -hmm. But also her having the intuition of thinking that it's creepy. I mean, she was correct. Absolutely. Look what happened at the end of the episode, you know? Yeah. So at the end of this scene in the train, we see a blindfolded doll to which we immediately know Drusilla's in town. The doll's a metaphor for Xander being discarded by Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) We won't talk about that. (laughs) <laughs> so we in, in the next scene we have Spike hanging out with Dawn and Joyce in the kitchen um, throwing around some anecdotes and jokes they're all laughing I will say apparently he apologized to Dawn or he apolog- apologized about Dawn to Joyce which that's cool but also like maybe apologize to Buffy so I don't want to like I'm I'm not trying to nitpick against Spike, but again this this episode has already clearly told us that Spike is only doing these things to get Buffy's attention. Yeah, he cares about Buffy liking him, so it's like I I, I don't I'm loath to give him flowers because it's selfish behavior. I mean, okay, yes, but I I, I do also think he really does care about Joyce and and Don. I mean, it is shown over time that that is the case. But I do think it sure. is also laced with selfishness towards Buffy. I think it can be both. What bothers me more about this this scene, again, is just the fact that everyone doesn't seem to be taking this whole thing seriously. So mm-hmm. you have Joyce and Dawn there and Buffy's over there like, am I crazy? Does no one else see the problem that this is? And everyone's like, oh, Buffy. And then Spike going, he's nice to oh, me. I classic. really need to talk to your eldest. And I'm like – Spike is clearly crossing boundaries. No one take it, no one's taking it seriously. And this also is way worse when you consider that everyone starts to ask Buffy if she's let Spike on, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like it's like, like if if we're gonna just compare this to make it make sense to people, 
That's like if an ex of yours keep coming to your house or your family's home for Thanksgiving every year or for yeah. a weekly or a weekly dinner. And your family's like, well, why do you think he still has a chance? Are you leading him on? No, because you're inviting this man into our house multiple Absolutely. times. And that's what they're doing. Because let's be honest, Joyce, when have you really been messing with this man's bike? Um, yes, I do. I do like the dynamic, but you, there's no way you don't see Buffy having this uncomfortable face when she walks in the kitchen she looked at them like what are y'all doing yeah he's in the kitchen on the counter he couldn't stand like a human being (laughs) not just like we're gonna be real petty we're gonna pull out all this stuff right now please like you were sitting on that dirty crib they're gonna sit on our counter where we cook and clean (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) that's true gross get your bone dust off of here i think this scene in particular is a is a trigger for me because i don't like, you know, I'll, I'll just say real briefly, like Tabby knows, but there was this relationship I had when I was um, like in high school with this guy who was very toxic, not great. And I was trying desperately to break things off with him, even though like it was very hard for me. And my parents kept inviting him over to the house. And I remember just like, coming in and this is before I had like my license so I couldn't leave and the guy would be there and then my parents would blame me for why the relationship wasn't ending and like I would be punished for all this stuff but that yet they kept inviting him over and it was really hard and it was I felt really trapped because I was like does no one hear me does no one understand that this is really hard and there's a whole other Mm -hmm. there's layers to that but it was very selfish behavior on my parents part particularly my mother because it was like she wanted to hang out with him but she wasn't thinking about her daughter and so obviously different things are happening here Joyce isn't aware of everything that's happening like she talks to Buffy later and stuff but seeing this and seeing like the vulnerability the frustration in Buffy and even the way that she flinches with Spike and all that other stuff she's trying so hard to place boundaries and no one seems to be taking it seriously. And I resonate with that. Yeah. You have this like this on and off perspective from her friends. One minute saying, oh, well, Buffy, he cannot love you. Like you're, you're, you're not thinking clearly. And then, then they have her, they flip the switch and say, well, let's try to have, have him realize that you don't have it. He doesn't have a chance. So you're confusing her on a helpful standpoint because she's asking y'all for advice. You laughed in her face and then you're saying, well, maybe you're leading him on or maybe you should tell him or you know, talk to him and say that there's nothing or never happened. And you put her in a situation where she's like, she can't, she can't, she don't know where to go. Um, Her boundaries are not being set or met. He's mm-hmm. basically everywhere. He's following her when she's on patrol. He's mm-hmm. thinking that if he helps her, he can like win a prize. And then also he's at her house in right. any hour of the day. Um, And if it's not through her, it's through her family or her friends. And yep. she becomes trapped because if she's trying to convince herself that there may be wrong and that maybe he doesn't like her or love her, is not proving the point when even the people that are supposed to be there for her are basically chilling with the guy who's been causing her paranoia for the last couple hours. Right. Um, it just doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things because then the idea or tone shift changes by the end of the episode. So mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of people projecting because they have a good experience with Spike, um, which is such a normal interaction with people yeah. it's 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 something that happens a lot um it shouldn't mm-hmm. be normal but it's the whole like like ugh, he's nice to me you know i've it's never had any common. issues with him yeah. and it's it's it mm-hmm. it takes and i get it i've been on either side of both those situations and i've mm-hmm. had some regrets looking back and have been like i wish that i had just taken someone's word for it 
Um, and just been like, okay. But it's like if some if a girl ever comes up to me and it's like I'm uncomfortable around any guy, I'm like, I know that feeling and I know that it is always valid. It is always mm-hmm. valid. If you're uncomfortable around a man, even if he never does anything, that's a valid feeling. You don't have to be around him. Like, and I really just feel for Buffy in this episode. And I know it's like it's it's hard. Oh, the hard part is this episode is well done. Um, the hard part about this episode is it's played for laughs. Um, and it's enjoyable to watch, don't get me wrong. But there even the way it's done. I always get so scared about saying these things, but it's like if you have media comprehension, you could tell what they're trying to tell you in this episode. Like later on the episode, it's, I mean, I've talked about this like several times in in spoilers, and I'll say it here now if you haven't listened to the spoilers, but um, I joked about like, like, oh, like no one gets this episode. Like I get it because I feel like, like, a lot of the times it's not seen for what it's actually be trying to tell us. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's very much a parallel to the Phantom from Phantom of the Opera. That he has a whole layer underground where he has a shrine to her. In Phantom of the Opera, like he basically gaslights this girl Christine that he's like obsessing over for years, um, thinking that he's like the ghost of her dead dad. Um, and then has this whole shrine of, of like a mannequin dressed in a, a wedding gown, has drawings and pictures of Christine, and she ends up finding it um, and like gets grossed out and everything. And it's like both the Phantom and Spike are not supposed to be seen as desirable in these moments. It's supposed to show a whole unhealthy attachment that this person has to the victim um and it's very important to note that and i feel like Mm -hmm. it's honestly so like um confusing sometimes or frustrating when there's some very 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 obvious toxic things like literally has a mannequin that he changes and puts clothes on and wigs that's weird that's creepy (laughs) it's like (laughs) fyi guys that's weird yes (laughs) yeah and, and and then it's like we forget it immediately, you know. So yeah. And this is coming from somebody who I actually like Spike. So I'm not sitting here. I'm just like I think it's healthy to kind of look at things objectively and be like, hey, this is what the show's telling me. So I should be actually listening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also not telling me; it's showing me. There's you. You need both in order for a character to be really solidified as that. Because sometimes a show can like tell me someone's an asshole but they're not actually and i'm like mm, you're lying because you don't know your characters um but it has to be both of them and both of those are shown in this episode and happen mm-hmm. here here we haven't even gotten there yet gosh you guys okay no, i know sorry not your fault i literally i jumped the gun so much anyway um they have oh my gosh spike is like hey um i have lead about the train station let's go there and he's like 
opening up the door. He's like, I, I almost expected him to like have his hand on the small of her back. I'm like, oh, please don't mm-hmm. do that. Ugh. The script says repeatedly, <laughs> Buffy's getting really uncomfortable. Yeah. Another uncomfortable moment of silence. Oh, Buffy eyes things with uncertainty. Does he mm-hmm. want to hold hands? What's in the flask? Like, this is genuinely disturbing. Like, let's put our – like, I know it's kind of played off for laughs and like we see Spike as harmless, but like Buffy doesn't see it this way. And I think we often forget to put ourselves in Buffy's shoes. I mean, she legitimately yeah. like jumps and like says stop when he reaches for the flask, you know? And then we have the reference to once Buffy says, is this a date? And then he's like, uh, do you want it to be? And then we have her go, oh God, oh no. And then she says, are you out of your mind? Which is a very clear reference mm-hmm. to the episode out of your out of my mind, which is the episode that Spike realizes that he has an attraction to Buffy. Um, so once again, like they're trying to hammer home. And there's a couple other like little references and stuff here too. And then he says, it's not so unusual to people in the workplace. Feelings develop not it, like again, he's trying to conflate his I say in quotations yeah. job with hers in his quest to find meaning. No, you this is not your responsibility. This is not your job. You have no meaning. You have no purpose in life. <laughs> yeah, like I don't understand that because one first of all, he tried to gaslight it real quick. That's the one. Y'all don't are you a slayer, Spike? Are you the, <laughs> yes. is, is, did you qualify? Because we don't really see you out there. Like you do approach, you come there, like you just randomly mm-hmm. stroll and decide to help, but you don't have that calling. You don't have that decision. You don't have that choice. Mm-hmm. You don't have you don't have the choice to save the world. You don't know what she's been through for these mm-hmm. five seasons. So for you to act like it's just like a job at like a workplace makes absolutely no sense because when you go home, you can sleep in your crypt. She has to go home and whereby Blue is gonna show up at her house to get her sister. The fact that she very clearly says, we don't need to do anything. There is no we understand. And then moves Mm -hmm. on and everyone's like, well, were you firm enough with him? To the point where she's like, man, I think I wasn't firm enough. I need to go back. I was like, girl, you were firm. um, This next scene in the crypt, we have Drew pop up out of the literal shadows. My problematic fave. I love her. (laughs) To come and taunt and kind of show spike that he is who he once was that he hasn't changed and was she wrong i don't know question is up in the air um um i just i'll say real fast um the verbiage she uses is very important she talks about him um and this the the chip she says i can see a little bit of plastic spider webbing out nasty blue shocks and everyone is a lie electricity lies spike it tells you you're not a bad dog but you are that for, that word is very intentional. And there's a line that was cut out of the episode where she says, you're my bad dog and you bite. Love's bitch. She's telling him, this is what you are. And your chip is making, it's lying to you. It's telling you that you're not, but you actually are. And she's basically saying, you're my bitch, <laughs> essentially. And it's, oh. that's very telling. Yeah. It's kind of what the dynamic <laughs> of the relationship was though. I mean, he yeah. was the, the fawning over simp for her, um, mm-hmm. would do all of anything she wanted um because he wanted to be needed and he wanted to be wanted and he loved being she loved. gave him purpose yeah. like he said she's the face of my salvation mm-hmm. also their yeah. chemistry is so good it's i amazing. miss them so yeah. much together and then poor harmony comes in <gasps> Who's that? Gets, gets choked <laughs> thrown poor yeah. girl and then she decides to leave and i'm like good for you girl but also they should have left forever ago 
And then we end the scene with him with uh, Harmony going, why? Because she's back. And he says, no, because I am. Oh. Interesting, interesting. I see your true This is the second time he said I'm back. I've changed. Mm-hmm. Two times already. Okay, it's made flip-flops yeah. all over the place. Make up your mind. It's giving Oscar performance. <laughs> Back at the house, we have Buffy telling Willow and Joyce about Spike and what's happened. Joyce asks if she's accidentally led him on, which I feel like is just, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that line, but I feel like that's such a parent thing to say. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe your child is 20. Sigh. Maybe your child can make their own decisions. Maybe your child is not like naive with how they act around a blood killer, you know? I just don't understand. I just don't understand though, because Buffy... How can she give mixed signals when she goes to school? She has to protect Dawn. She had, like, you know, she's worrying about her mom. And she also had to worry about Glory. I just want to know when in this time of these 12 hours, basically, does she have to sit here and flirt with Spike? Do you see her ask Spike to, like, I don't understand why she said it. Yeah, this, th- this scene was odd to me. I think it was just to give Buffy a reason to go back to the crypt and find everything, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the whole bronze scene, which is just one of my favorite scenes in this This is episode. good. The slow-mo is just amazing. Yeah, they just come in. They own the place. They start dancing, and then they see a couple up in the rafters, to which they go up there in slow-mo. And then Drusilla just immediately snaps Nick, which is just such an interesting loophole we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sits there and has this moment of like, should I do it or should I not? And you could mm-hmm. tell in his brain he's going through a lot of the reasonings why it's worth it to him or whatever but it's like almost as if he's like oh i didn't kill her so why does it matter if i feed on her and i feel like Mm -hmm. that there's a reason why he mentioned to buffy that he wanted um props for not feeding on the girl two episodes Mm -hmm. ago in the beginning of this episode to kind of show that this is still in his character this has been in his character he does not have a soul. So Drew coming in and doing that and then him like relenting is not like <gasps> it's not like a moment of us being like, oh my gosh, what is Spike doing? It's like a oh, okay, so he's gonna do that now. Cool. Right. You know? Right. Yep. He does what most benefits him in the moment. Although just like <laughs> on a lighter note, the couple that was making out were cracking me up because they were standing so far apart and just like their lips you were tell touching. It's actors. You could tell <laughs> it's two moment. actors that, that <laughs> yeah. were like, hey, you have to be, make out passionately, but they both have like significant others that are like standing right off the screen. They're like, we have to make it passionate, but like not too passionate. It was very mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. So Spike drinks from the girl and then we um, jump over to the crypt and Buffy's in there looking for Spike and then finds his lower level goes down there to check it out, finds the mannequin and tons of drawings Mm -hmm. and pictures. And again, the way that they decorated his crypt basement, (laughs) they put skulls in there and they put the coffins in there. Very vampire stuff and kind of like a death and decay and destruction is down here. This This is Spike's true nature. This is who he really is. And then she walks up the ladder and Spike is there. Dun, dun, dun. Also, I think some of those drawings were Angel's drawings. Did Spike steal them from Angel? I was going to make a comment. I said that's definitely given he stole Angel's and Angel's whole album and Buffy ain't noticed. Spike is a klepto, man. Because <laughs> when has it been canon that he's also like a good drawer? Like I would have yeah, died and- if it was like stick figures. 
<laughs> and how did he get that like season four Buffy in college photo? Like Spike's like, geez, he tries to draw and he's like, this is not working. All I can make is stick figures. And then he goes and like runs into Angel investigations while Angel's like out with Darla, <laughs> like steals some of his stuff. <laughs> he's like Angel's going through his angst. So he's like the perfect opportunity to break these. in. He, yeah. stole, like, tw- he stole like a good 10 to 15 drawings. Like there's just no way Buffy didn't notice this significant decrease in saved items on her dresser. There's no way. I, it would have been better none. if it wasn't like drawings if it was like poems about her that he like taped oh yeah there. that would have been way more like in character because i'm yeah. not convinced he has drawn any of those yeah and, and it would have convinced us when he said that line later about like you're all i think about you're in my gut it would have yeah. made sense if he wrote something because if she's in your gut uh-huh. why are you still in people's artwork that's in french yeah. or whatever it is we could sue and you sue yeah <laughs> So he zaps um, Buffy unconscious, and then by our surprise, zaps Drew unconscious as well. What is he doing? This man doesn't know what he wants. Yeah. He wants it all. He wants to, He wants all three. Or maybe just the two. And then we have the basement scene. Buffy wakes up chained, and then he forces her to hear him say, I love you, to which she looks disgusted. He says he's drowning in her, and Drew laughs. <laughs> and he's like can do without the laugh track drew and she's like i knew it i knew it before she's like i've been saying this for years and then as she's talking he just ignores her and starts talking to buffy and you can hear her still talking in the exactly. she said i am disgusted but not surprised which is my point as to why did you come here <laughs> like you know he was very much crossed with buffy since like season four or end of season two whatever whatever flashback that was but yet you're shocked that you right. it's been confirmed by it? Well, I think it's interesting because it shows that, again, Drusilla's a vampire. And this is something we've talked about a lot is this idea of like vampires cannot change. They are stuck in these cycles. And so even Drusilla is stuck in this cycle of coming back to Spike. And even though she knows literally what's going mm-hmm. on inside of Spike too. She knows and she's don't yeah. care. She said, I want my man back. And then she goes, um, never mind. He's crusty. Mind. You can have him. <laughs> I have to say, I know with that we've really kind of talked about like the the stuff that really just kind of escapes us out about this episode, but I will say in this moment here, this is probably the most triggering to me. Like when he sits mm. here and he, he goes like he's very much projecting and gaslighting Buffy's emotions and saying, like, I know you feel something too. Um and just keeps going in by being like like we have something, stop denying it. And usually in TV shows or in real life, when I start to get a little bit uneasy or scared in a scene is usually when dudes try start to project their emotions onto a woman. That's when I, I feel um, a sense of worry physically for the girl. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But it's it's very like it's something that's an easy trigger, something that's easy to pick out. Girls know um, it's a sign usually that this is an unsafe situation. Um, if a guy's unwilling to hear your um, truth in the moment, um, he's probably convincing himself that what he does next is fine and consensual. And so I think hearing that projection i've heard it in person i've heard it um 
in television shows and movies and usually never ends well after that starts happening. So hearing that, I was like, oh my gosh, like poor girl. And imagine being chained up when that monologue starts happening. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> I'm accepting it then because there's nothing else I can do. You yeah, know? Like, like, the, like the thing is, is that he tries to make her feel guilty about it. He's like, oh, well, I'm killing Drew for you. This girl, she changed my life. She's my salvation. She's the reason why I'm here. She's, you know, she's how I am to this day. As if that's going to make Buffy feel blessed or thankful that you, one, you put her in a situation, you chained her up. Two, you're now putting his ex, I mean, his ex onto her if she doesn't like do what he wants. He's forcing her to think about her feelings for him as if, yes, okay, if she if he does kill Drew, what does that mean? It's not going to make her magically love you, one. And two, you just basically ruined any other chances because you didn't have any. But you're then threatening her after you just said you love her. You said, well, if you don't give me what I want in the way that I want it, I will have Drew kill you. Yes. So uh-huh. you cannot ask, you cannot beg, you cannot demand, mm-hmm. you cannot info dump your love to her when she's chained up. Her orange probably hurt. So you're putting her in an uncomfortable situation. She's probably feeling icky. But then you're like forcing her to listen to your your love and your obsession and how you're obsessed with her. And she's all she like, she's all you can think about. But yet you are going to do this to her. You're going to have somebody kill her or it's either kill or be killed. That's mm-hmm. not something you do with in your in your changed man. You're the same one in the beginning of the episode, if I recall, said that she, you know, she should give you a little bit of respect. Yet you didn't respect her when you decide to chain her force her to tell her that she loves you and if she doesn't give you what you want you are going to have her killed mm-hmm. and if you really love somebody you really want her like you, that <laughs> yeah. yeah you really like if you love her and you want to respect you you would kill her if you love her so much that doesn't make sense to me spike you're weird um don't know what to say uh, yeah and this being like the inverse of the episode angel this is another mirror of that with like Spike going, all right, well, I'll kill Drusilla. But it's very different from Angel staking Darla. And Markfield gives three examples of why. And, and you kind of already said it, Naj. But first, Angel didn't demand anything in return. He just killed Darla. Second, Angel didn't threaten to let Darla go free and have her way with Buffy. Three, I feel like these are obvious, but we need to say them. Three, Angel staked Darla in order to save Buffy's life. And I would add a fourth one. There was a huge metaphorical thing there. Angel staking Darla was significant, not just because of those things, but because it showed that Angel was choosing good in his life, was choosing the path of redemption, what we know later on would lead to him leaping for LA and helping the powers that be and all that stuff. Um, That was the first conscious choice that Angel made to leave his past behind him. And he was able to do that because he had a flipping soul. Now, question for you guys. This is a highly debated line in the Buffy fandom where Drusilla says, oh, we can love, you know, we can love quite well, if not wisely. Do you guys agree with Drusilla? No. Um, <laughs> my point is, is that after I got done Angel and Buffy, um, I've seen that if they do love, it's not loyally. Um, and I feel like their love is more of a possession, mm. more of an entitlement. They think it's, love. it's not. Yeah, they think it's love because they probably haven't really felt that real love in years or how long it's been since they turned. But you find out that, you know, Angelus and Darla, yes, they may have looked like they were in love, but they were definitely not loyal to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, yes, I wouldn't even be taking Drusilla's words seriously because that's Drusilla. She says anything at this point. But yes, they can love, but it's not the love that we've seen with Buffy and Angel. It's not the love that we've seen with um, Giles and Jenny. So 
in a sense, there can be love in vampire mm-hmm. vampirism, but it becomes murky because once again, these are people without a soul. So you, it's going to be a difference comparing it to Angel and his love interests to Drew and Spike. Mm-hmm. And clearly how we're seeing it, if Spike really did love Drew, he would not be ready to kill her when she just showed mm-hmm. up. And if it was strong on Drusilla's part, she would have still tried to stay or fight with, you know, fight for it. Instead, once he showed that he was going to kill her, she left and never came back. Mm-hmm. So there is like a limit to how much they can love each other. So I don't believe the love that they're saying is the love that we see. So I, in my research, found something very interesting about this sentence that Drusilla says. It's kind of long, but I promise it's really, this is probably the most hotly debated line Um in this episode and maybe this season. I don't know. This is like huge. This is huge. Um, This is actually a quote that Drusilla is quoting. She's quoting Othello, um, a Shakespearean character from the play. I believe it's Othello. So we talked about Othello hugely in the episode Earshot. It was a huge part of that. And I'm going to give you guys like a quick synopsis of it. Um, I already said this in Earshot, but I think it's worth repeating and stuff because it it makes a lot of background and context for this this phrase right here. Othello, uh, I am one who loved not wisely but too well, is one of the most memorable parts of Othello's final speech in William Shakespeare's play of the same name. He suggests that the reason he acted so rashly and killed his wife with no real proof she was cheating on him was that his love was strong but not wise. So Othello is the story of a noble military general who has enjoyed many successes on the battlefield but makes the mistakes of judgment and his outsider status in his society sabotages his most intimate relationships and himself. So Othello, the play is all about sexual jealousy, how one man can convince another man who loves his wife dearly that she's been unfaithful to him when she hasn't. But Shakespeare also talks about how the hero can be flawed and like all this stuff. And it talks about how Othello's great tragic flaws, his pride and how he his love is self-serving and self-regarding and to the point where it becomes self-destructive. That's from literature.com. But they're showing how Spike is like Othello in this situation and Buffy is Desdemona. And Spike wants her so much, but he's it's all self-interest. It's self-regard. And so by Drusilla quoting Othello, she's pointing out that you can love – but it's going to be a selfish kind of love. It's not going to be the kind of love that has an interest for the other person. Um, and in earshot, when we were talking about this a little bit more, Buffy was talking to her teacher. This is when she could hear everybody's thoughts. And in season three, Buffy was Othello. Angel was Desdemona. And Buffy says he sort of admits himself that his motives are spurious. He just does things because he enjoys them. Well, it's almost like he's not a person, like he's a force of nature, the dark half of Othello himself, Othello's fear and rage sort of embodied. And in season three, we talked about this in Full for Love. The whole idea of the season, the themes, was not giving into your desires because when you do so, you're not act- making active choices and being a full, fleshed out, autonomous person. You're not capable of, of making responsible and integral choices. And so we had, you know, Lover's Walk, where Spike was the prime example to Buffy and Angel of what happens when you're just lost in desire. Having a bit of this episode be kind of a callback to season three and Othello and all that stuff, they're trying to show. Once again, Spike is not capable of loving because Spike is not capable of choice. And in order for Spike to love fully, he would have to choose to give up 
everything that he is. And this episode proves that no matter how hard he tries, he cannot change his nature. He cannot change who he is. Therefore, he's not capable of loving because if he's going to love Buffy well and wisely, it would require a change of his nature. So long-winded way of saying that phrase that everyone likes to point back to and say, oh yeah, Spike is capable of love and all this other stuff. They're not looking at where that phrase is coming from because they're it's not flattering for Spike, honestly. <laughs> oh, that's even more insane because I don't think people actually do like deep diving info about what these lines mean. So that's even more. It's even more insane. <laughs> it's not even taken serious now. It's yeah. selfish love. So take what you will. Good work, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Patch the Nerd also talks about how um, we also need to look at the role of vampires in the show. And I actually have been saying this for so long. In answering this question of whether vampires can love or not, vampires are the antithesis of slayers and of adolescents. They're meant to show what happens when you don't grow and you don't change. Um, Spike's not choosing anything by being chipped. And even if he wasn't, he couldn't because of his nature. So Passion of the Nerd says, given existential freedom was tantamount for him, Jean-Paul Sartre, which this series is very heavily based off of Sartre's view of existentialism, Sartre believed that romantic love was rife with either sadistic or masochistic potential outcomes. Sadistic is when we try and tie another person down in a relationship with us, denying them the freedom to grow and change and manifest their authentic selves. Or masochistic which is when we try and conform to what we believe our lovers want us to be, abandoning our own freedom. Spike is, in the conventional sense of the word, a prototypical, hopeless romantic and manifests both varieties of Sartre's bad faith love. Sadistic, through trying to force Buffy into loving him, tying her up and all that stuff. Masochistic, as he doesn't see himself as having the freedom to be the man he wants to be, and that freedom is endowed to him by Drew or Buffy, meaning he's looking at all these other people to tell him who he he should be. Um, and all, and it shows with the pattern of women he's obsessed with. And that was Passion the Nerd. And yeah, I think those are things that people need to be really realistic with when they look at the characterization of Spike in this episode in particular. So mic drop off my soapbox. I'm done. Clips. You ate that up. <laughs> Not hold you. Thank you. Thank you for this. My, oh my gosh. The, at the very end, he like when Buffy says, "Like you, the only chance you had with me was when I was unconscious." Oh, he freaks drop, out and goes, "Like you bitches torture me," and I'm like, "Um, oh, here he is." The same episode because like Drew was willing to like literally live with you for the rest of your lives. She was willing to get back together with you. So like, what are you trying to say then? Who's torturing and you, dude? That's what I'm just, exactly. He's like, both the girls are tied up here. <laughs> Exactly. He's like, what's wrong with you bloody women? As if, yeah. one, you didn't throw Harmony out. Two, you didn't threaten to kill two of them. And three, um, two of them are chained. So yeah. is the, is the like, are you not looking in the mirror? Well, you don't even have a mirror. But you probably won't even <laughs> see the reflection. not looking in the mirror, actually. Yeah. Yeah, he, needs, he, he needs to get something because it makes no sense. These women are chained up. You have to get the key to open it. And you talk about something's wrong with these women. What's wrong with you, Spike? This is incel behavior right here. Yeah, I was this about is, to say, but this again, is it's so obvious when you watch it because, like, it's right there for you. But then it, it's like, oop, I've heard the eyes. That's not what I'm seeing. Sometimes I feel gaslit by the Spike fandom, honestly. Yeah, I watched this you. episode and I was like, dude, we don't talk about this episode enough. It's all we right don't. here. We don't. And I feel like it's one of those reasons why a lot of people have this kind of 
blind vision when it comes to Spike is because so many people do not remember a lot of these episodes. Some people don't remember these scenes. Some people say that due to having a comedic nature, is not it shouldn't be taken serious. But I was counting down and memorizing everything this man done. Therefore, <laughs> I had never forgot this man better count his days for what he's been doing. Wreaking havoc. It's because the more neutered, in quotes, he gets the less people take a lens on him because he's getting, it's like, the, it's okay. It's the classic, the reason why Buffy gets more flack than anyone else is because she's up on a higher pedestal because she's a moral character. So people are, are willing to like, it's it's a natural psychological human thing that we do, right? So somebody who's good, um, somebody who's seen as good, somebody who's seen as moral is a lot more criticized most of the time because people, everyone's lens are on them and looking for them to fail or looking for reasons to kind of nitpick. It's easier. It's it's a natural thing for us to kind of like look for the flaws if we think that something is naturally good or moral. Whereas somebody who we kind of expect to be immoral, expect to be kind of awful, when they do good things, we're so quick to affirm it because we never see it and because we want to see them better than how they actually are and so it's this weird distortion specifically with by by, hello with spike and buffy (laughs) because it's the classic between both of them it's like buffy gets oh my gosh she makes like a minor mistake and people blow out of the portion in the show people are freaking out people are like losing their faith in her i'm like hello can you Can we calm down for a second? And then Spike gets gradually less murdery because he has a chip, but he still does things that are bad. So it's like you watch this episode and all of a sudden the highlights are not, oh, he tied the girls up and threatened to kill Buffy. It's a, oh, he's just so vulnerable and told Buffy Mm -hmm. that he loved her. And they remember the whole like fake date thing at the train station or or not train station at the place with they the see two the comedy but they don't see the actual stuff that's happening behind it well, i think it's more than that too it's not just the comedy it's like it's like when somebody shows a kernel of good it's like okay i've been re-watching vampire diaries actually re-watching it i'm literally in season four now i keep Whoa. saying i've been saying God that bless you. But i'm actually re-watching because i really want to mm. like watch it all and damon even says he's like I don't want people to see the good in me because they expect the good in me. He wants to live in the gray so that when he does things that people don't agree with, they already expect it. So they're like, they don't get angry. He gets away with it. Yes. Yeah, he gets gets away more. He knows what he's doing. Like, and I feel like viewers do that as well. So when we see an episode like this, we don't remember. So the stands don't remember the bad stuff because. They're still holding – it's like they have a different expectation for him, but they've also seen way worse of him. Mm-hmm. So you just automatically don't remember those things. But then all of a sudden, Buffy in this episode is like, why isn't Buffy listening to him? Why, Like, oh, poor Buffy. Like, she likes him. I know she does. She's like rejecting and feelings. That's, and that just pisses me off. I mean, Spike is really saying the quiet parts out loud 
this this whole rant at the very end. Bloody right you are. If you hadn't left me for that chaos, de- chaos demon, I'd never come back here. Wouldn't have this sodding chip in my skull, points to Buffy and says, and you wouldn't be able to touch me because this, this thing with you, it's wrong. I know it. Not a complete idiot. He says, you think I like having you here destroying everything that was me until all that's left is you in a dead shell. You say you hate it, but you won't leave. He's really projecting right now. You right. can leave, Spike. You can leave. And mm-hmm. then he's like, fine, I'm just going to get rid of both of you. This right here, this whole thing of like, okay, I'm just going to kill both of you is exactly what he was doing at the end of Fool for Love. When he goes to grab his gun and Harmony goes, it's not going to work at the end of the day. Like, you're too weak. You'll stop it. Like, it's the repeated cycle of everything over and over again. Yeah. And then Harmony, my girl, comes in. I was in. about to say, poor Harmony. And she's like, did you forget about me again? The actual girlfriend? <laughs> oh, poor Harmony. I like that she actually stakes him, dude. Yeah. All right. She definitely did. She shocked. was close. There's a whole part that was cut out. She says, I gave you the best bunch of months of my life, which is in the episode. She says, I did everything to please you. Did you ever once think about my wants, my fantasies? And Spike goes, "Um, not as such, no. And then she whacks him up the head with the crossbow. And she goes, well, they were deep and beautiful. And you should have. Aww. Oh, that would have been amazing to see. Poor girl. <laughs> right? Because they, they make her love her relationship with him such a joke. Like she takes mm-hmm. it serious and Spike doesn't. She does. So then so then it kind of lowers the significance of what she feels for Spike, which was mm-hmm. she definitely was doing a lot for this man. And he just treats her like she's like nothing. That's a good point. So. Drew's like, that's right, little girl. Teach our naughty boy a lesson. Such a disappointment to all of us he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we have um Harmony and Spike fighting and then drew gets untied runs over to buffy about to kill her spike saves buffy oh yeah yeah and then buffy gets out of her chains and harmony leaves and then drew says poor spike even i can't help you now and then buffy just like punches spike so hard into the rubble and my girl is angry and mm-hmm. he follows her home still trying to convince yeah. her i was like <sighs> yeah. leave her Oh, the whoa. audacity. My is, gosh. He's insane. Like, he's also, no, we can't talk about this. You can't run away from this. Yeah, she's walking away. That's the and point. She's said, not running. She's walking. He's like, oh, it was a fight. It doesn't change anything. This man is delusional. Huh? Like, you almost let her get killed. And the thing is, I, hmm, listen, Buffy has amazing strength. I'm always going to give her her tens because the way that she's able to do all these spins and kicks to defend herself while chained up against her, yeah. amazing work. So, it wasn't a fight. Because she didn't even retaliate. She wasn't talking to you at all. She just let you talk, ramble, whine, and, and fuss. And then when she was able to escape due to you almost letting Drew kill her, um, she decided to leave. This is not a fight. You're not friends. You're not in a relationship. You're not coworkers. You're not employees. You're not siblings. You're nothing. <sighs> this was probably the second most powerful thing she could have done apart from staking him by say- mm-hmm. him saying, you can't just shut me out. And then she doesn't even answer back. She just shuts the door in his face. Honestly so so satisfying it was so satisfying and it does and it does once again does parallel to like when angela's when it happened to angela because if we're going to keep using angel or bringing him up look at this one this one she wasn't sad about it happening she was just like oh you're finally out my way but jeez you try to make it like he was so sad and just so shocked you're going to walk into her house sir (laughs) 
All right, guys, that was Crush. And as you can tell, there's a lot that we're going to have to talk about for the spoiler section. It's going to be really good. This is a huge episode for the rest of the series, honestly. Um, It paves the way for a lot of stuff, and it sets up a lot of things that will be really interesting to discuss. Um, I'm really excited. I've already got my notes all ready. I know Naj was saying she has all her stuff highlighted and stuff. So (laughs) yeah, there's going to be a lot that's said. But yeah, let us know your guys' thoughts, guys. Um, This is a really interesting episode. And I know the ever ongoing debate when it comes to Angel and Spike and all that stuff. And like, what does it mean to have a soul or not have a soul and all that stuff? I'm I'm really curious what you guys think. Definitely let let us know your thoughts. as always, you guys can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Check out Naj's YouTube channels, just Naj and A J. And oh, so good. You're going and through you're going through Charmed right now, right? Yeah. Oh fun. I've never seen Charmed. It's amazing. What it's season phenomenal. are you on? Uh I just started two. I think I'm on like episode five. Okay. So cool. We're definitely getting there. I'm excited. Um, And yeah, you guys can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you guys would like to support us and listen to our spoiler recap for this episode and each of our other episodes, you can join our Buy Me a Coffee membership at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. And special shout out and thank you to all of our producers, Christine, CJ, Kate, Omri, Paul, and Cashan. Thank you so much to all of our listeners and we will talk to you all next time.